0: So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved.
1: Thank you Tracy. Eunice Blaha, why don't you stand up. You weren't prepared for this but you're always ready, right? That uh, former student of ours and you're on. Uh, why don't you give us in, in a minute, tell us what you're up to these days. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually at MTI, but she's training international over in Palmer Lake by Colorado Springs and I'm to go to Ireland. Very good. So you may want to connect with her here a little bit. It's always exciting to see our students and them following the Lord however He leads them around the world. And then uh, I wanted to also mention, before we get into to the message, that uh, tomorrow at uh, the funeral for Dale's mother, he's going to be speaking at the graveside. So be praying for him probably mid-afternoon that that takes place. And he says, I was thinking about speaking on the 23rd Psalm. <laughs> so that's a that's a good one. Cause it's just it's so loaded. Well, if you brought your Bible, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2, which the book of Acts is telling the story of the early church, how these people's lives were just totally changed by the resurrection of Jesus. The crucifixion is probably the centerpiece of all of Scripture. When we think of that leading up to Messiah, laying down his life, offering himself for the sacrifice of sins and, and giving to us eternal life. But the resurrection, really the completing of that, the gospel, is what so profoundly affected his followers, and they were never the same. And so what we see that unfold in this story is not so much the, the teaching like the Apostle Paul has of how to live the Christian life, but just describing how it is unfolding. And so when I, I think of that, um, all of these characteristics of this early church, some, some things are what we call prescriptive, in that God says, this is what you do, this is what I want you to do. And other things are descriptive, we're watching the lives of people we respect. It'd be someone that you may know, that you say, I, I really admire their life, and I, it, it's not so much they tell me, what to do, but I I see what they're doing. This is what Acts is really is really about. When we look at this passage, we began with the description that those accepted the those who had accepted the message were baptized, and that day about three thousand people were added to them. Can you imagine what that would do to this church? I mean, if one day we preached a message and 3,000 people said, I believe and I want to follow Jesus, (laughs) we would probably have to have some organizational meetings about how we're going to handle this. Now, all of church history doesn't happen that way, but there was just something really unique and powerful that was taking place. And, And one of the characteristics that I feel is core to what God wants us to be is to be sharing our faith and people coming to Christ, which immediately makes most of us a little bit hesitant to step forward in that. When I think back to my childhood, which is quite a long time ago, there there are a lot of spaces I don't remember. I mean, I there are you say, well, what were you doing when you were three years old? I don't remember a lot when I was three years old. And there are years, I think, where well, it all kind of jumbled together. But there were specific, specific events that took place in my life that, I, that are very vivid for me. And one of those <clears throat> was the evening that I put my faith and trust in Jesus as my Savior. And I was young. And I still remember where I lived. I lived in Norfolk, Virginia. My dad was stationed at uh, uh, Sinkland Fleet with the U.S. Navy. And I was sleeping in the top bunk. We had, uh, we had a very small house. Uh, all three of us, my two sisters and I, were in the same bedroom. I was on the top bunk. And I remember that night not being able to go to sleep because I, I was afraid to close my eyes. I don't know if you remember this little prayer, the kids will pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. So, I don't know if I just got used to praying that prayer, but during, during the morning, I was listening to a radio program called Big John and Sparky. Now, I had this happen one time. He said, oh, we don't believe that really existed. Well, I actually saw it in a magazine of Big John and Sparky had his radio program. And we would listen to radio a lot. And I remember that morning really being convicted about my need for Christ personally, that I was a sinner and I would die if I died without Jesus I would go to hell. I would be without God forever. But that God sent His Son for me, and if I just believe, if I just trust in Him, I could have eternal life. And I I was affirming everything in my mind. I'm thinking, I believe that, I believe that, I believe that. But they talked about it making it personal, a personal, a personal trust in Jesus. So I listened to it that morning, thought about it through the day, and then that night... My mom came in, and I'm not sure it went exactly this way, but, you know, you pray that prayer, if I should die before I wake. <laughs> now, if you heard Tim Hawkins do this one, he's a, he's a comedian, and it's like, if I should die before I wake, oh. <laughs> uh, you not know, for a kid, I'm thinking, I don't want to, so I'm, I'm keeping my eyes open. So my mom leaves the room, my eyes are open, and I said, I'm not closing my eyes tonight. Because I thought, if if I go to sleep, and I die tonight, I'll be without Christ and without hope. Now, so I called my mom back in, and I said, mom, and I just told her my concern, and she just walked me through how to put my faith and trust in Christ as my personal Savior. And that night, I did. As best as I know as a child, put my faith and trust in Christ as my Savior. Now, my nervousness was more of just my eternal destiny. My mom, I don't think she was too nervous sharing how to become a Christian with her son. She's probably waiting for this moment, praying for this moment, not trying not to push it on me, but to allow God to be working in my life. That was my experience. You know, I, sometimes when I, you know, through my life, I wish, oh, I wish I had something more dramatic, you know, like I was in all kinds of... Uh, Terrible living and drinking and rioting and, and jail and prison murder, and then I got saved at the age of four but uh, that's not that's not my testimony it's not It's not dramatic but yet it is it is because God changed from death to life, gave eternal life to to a, a child and uh that that's just vivid in my my mind now that that is what what my mom did with me is how the gospel is shared. It's shared in that way. And it it should be characteristic of a healthy believer and a healthy church. You know, when when I've talked about what are our values as a church, they're really, we're a collection of people. So you can apply all of this personally. And I think later on, when I was probably in grade school, one time. I uh, The first person I ever shared my faith with was, I think I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade, and this was in Kamaseya, Japan. You know, you can remember, you just, I just remember a picture of this. Kamaseya, Japan. We we were in the military housing, and uh, back, back in the day, this now TV was invented then, but we it was all Japanese, so we never watched the TV. And uh, so we're out playing all the time, I uh, kicked the can, Indian baseball, running around doing things, and I remember with one of my friends, I I was uh, talking to him, and I started to be burdened about whether or not he knew he had eternal life, and you know as I was I was thinking about um, how do I how do I do this? I remember how nervous I was. We were on the side of the house behind the bushes. I remember ex- the exact spot and him sitting next to me, and me, as best as I could, explaining how to become a Christian. This need for Christ, and how to put his faith and trust in Christ to have eternal life. I was just, I still remember just being petrified doing that. And uh, he did. He, he trusted Christ as his Savior. And that, that's the first time I had a chance to lead someone to Christ. As time went on through high school... I kind of drifted in my walk with God. I mean, I, I still was a believer, and I, I would acknowledge that with people, but I really didn't live it. And, and I had two friends that I never, close friends, that I never shared my faith with. And this was, this was during my senior year of high school. Um, all through high school, I had never, I had many opportunities, never shared my faith. And in one summer, uh, they both died one One in a car accident and one by a drug overdose and that that so bothered me that i never i had many opportunities to be able to share my faith now what i 'd like to do this morning is talk to you about this it just maybe a little more of a conversation about how we get to the place of being a little more comfortable with sharing our faith because that that 's really something God has has designed for all of us to be able to do. But put it into context, uh, and going back to what we've, we've looked at so far, this would be the fifth of, uh, message of five messages on what would be, I would say, core values of my life, biblical principles to live by, or biblical principles for a church to live by. The first one, that, and we, re, we, we really gather all of these out of Acts 2, and what Tracy read just a little bit earlier. The first one is that we glorify God in everything. It is, our, it is our purpose to glorify God in everything. It's not just that I try not to send too much today, because that, that would probably be fairly descriptive of my life uh, in high school. I'm a Christian. I try not to mess up too much, go to church, I do these things. But What we find here is that they are praising God constantly, which means they're glorifying God. We live our lives to His glory, and that should be, for the believer, our supreme and ultimate desire. Paul says in Ephesians 5.10, he says, finding out what pleases the Lord. So to go from the way most of us are are just wired is self-pleasing or people-pleasing is to God-pleasing that I ask this question. Here's, here's kind of the standard that we should ask individually and as a church. What would please God? What would please God? What pleases God the most? You're trying to make a decision. Well, And, and I used to say, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. I, and I'd always say this to my mother. There's no verse on that. <laughs> you know, and there, there are a lot, you know, a lot of things in life that there's no verse on. You know, there's no verse on video games and what kind of video games I can watch. There's no verse on smoking. There's no verse on doing this. And, you know, my mom listened, heard all of that from me. <laughs> and I, w- I was almost in an argumentative mode uh, saying there's nothing wrong with. So don't judge me. Well, what we really see the New Testament spirit is not just what can I get away with is, is I want to please God. I I want God to be pleased with how I think, what I do, everything about my life. And I want to find out more and more what pleases Him. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We live for His pleasure, not our own. You know, it's... Uh, I could I could expand upon that thought but I not already did. So, number 2, we gather with God's community. You see what's consistent through this is that they meet together. They're meeting together every day. Every day they're gathering together. They're they're part of something bigger. They they're part of a family. You're in God's family. So that doesn't just mean you're heavenly father, but it means you have brothers and sisters. <laughs> And you say, I didn't sign up for brothers and sisters, but we live with brothers and sisters, and God has put us in a a family. Number three, we grow in our faith. God has designed every believer to grow. And here's one of the problems that that I've witnessed is that we get to a comfortable level of understanding basic Christianity, and we can use all the, the lingo you know, the Christianese, and we can talk the talk and go to church and sound like a Christian, and we just kind of coast. But there should be the lifelong process for every one of us of God changing us, growing, developing us to the likeness of Christ. Number four, and we talked about this the last time, was give of ourselves to others. This is what Jesus did. Jesus said, I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve this is what God has designed for us to do. And this is not so much out in the world, but with one another. And God has equipped every one of us to be able to serve one another. So that brings us to the last one, and we get to the very end of our reading, it says, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Well, what does that look like? You see 3,000 people saved. Now, in my mind, it's not like all of a sudden... We have, you know, 3,100 30, 30, and something people. <laughs> I think, oh, what do we do with this? But if you were to take this church and multiply it 30 times all over Boulder Valley, wouldn't that be exciting? To have a va- valley type of church. Did I get the math right on that? I think I did. But everywhere and every place, there is a body of believers meeting together and growing in their faith. This is, this is what we are here for. There's so much that we'll be able to do when we're in heaven. The one thing we'll not be able to do is to share the good news of eternal life with someone who's lost. We won't be able to do that in heaven. And, and, and Peter tells us this, that this is why God, He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's why he waits. That's, you say, why doesn't he come now? And I, we, Diane and I are having this conversation this morning about, you know, all that's going on in politics. And I said to her, I said, you know, but the Lord, the Lord's going to make everything right. She said, yeah, in a thousand years. <laughs> well, but it could be today. We're just we're kind of having fun with that. But you just want it now. You want it today. You want everything right. You want all, all things to be, you know, cleaned up from the impurities in this life but that's why he waits why why doesn't he return today why doesn't he take us all to heaven now why doesn't because there are still people you know loved ones family members friends and people in this world who have yet to hear they don't know and they've not received Christ and that's so so this is this is one of the primary reasons why we're here and we need to understand that we've been given a command and every single gospel account that's given to us ends with this. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, every every one of these accounts of the life of Christ end with his statement. And we call this the great commission. You have the great commandment, which is to love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we live. The, the great commission is go share your faith. That's what we do. <laughs> so I, I feel like the Bible, if you can reduce it down, it's pretty simple. <laughs> this is how we live. You love God. You love others. This, this this is how we live. This is what we do. Go share that. Go share that with others. And as time is short, we have this opportunity. We want to do that. And, and as you expand through this through the New Testament, you just see this unfolding. So What does Jesus say? He says, Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all, it says nations, but it means literally people groups. Of every group of people, every gathering of people all over the world, I want you to go and share your faith. Make disciples. It's not just that people become believers, that they ask Jesus into their heart, they raise their hand or walk down an aisle. No, it, it is. It is more than that. It is they become followers of Jesus. This is why I. This is something that I feel so important to understand. God's will for your life is for you to follow Him. You say, well, what does that mean? Where do I go? Just follow Him. <laughs> you never know all the turns you'll take. You keep in step. Paul said to the Galatians church. Keep in step with the Spirit. So what about, should I, should I go to China and be a missionary? Should I, should I stay here and just work the job that I've been working? What should I do? Just follow Him. You keep in step with Him. Being a disciple is being a follower of Jesus. And you help others to follow Jesus. That's what we do. So personally, what I want to do is continue to follow Jesus all my life. And then I want to be able to turn around and help others to be able to do the same, to follow him. Now, there are, there are a lot of things that make me a little bit petrified. I still, I still am nervous. If I, if I get on an airplane, I don't travel as much as I used to, but I get on an airplane, I immediately, immediately feel tension. Because I'm thinking the person next to me, I want to have a conversation about Jesus and I immediately feel, this is going to be awkward. you ever feel that way? And, and I, I just get nervous, and I, I don't like, I start, I start thinking, how's this going to go? Start praying, Lord help me on this. <laughs> I have still not gotten to the point after all these years that I just feel like, you know, it just kind of flows out of me wherever I go. <laughs> it's still hard, because you don't want to be rejected, you don't know what they're going to say, uh, you, they'll probably ask you a question you don't know the answer to, um, which you know that that could happen to any of us. But there are a lot of reasons why I, I struggle with that. But when you come down to what what motivates me, what should motivate me to to every opportunity that God genuinely gives me to share my faith, to share to share the story of the good news of Christ, uh, fear could motivate me. Uh, fear is a motivator, by the way. Uh, it's not the best motivator. I could, you know, I could fear, like, you know, if God's going to really be, do something to me, if I don't do something here, uh, fear is not a great motivator. I could say, well, duty motivates me. You know what? It's the right thing to do, and I'm going to do it, and, and I should share my faith. But that can wear thin. The greatest motive for doing anything is love and gratitude for what God has given to you. And, and every one of us, to be effective in sharing our faith, need to get to that point. And to get to that point, it takes a regular process of going through your mind the goodness of God expressed to you in salvation and beyond. And stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. And what that does is when you consider what God has done for you, And how He has expressed salvation to you and what He has done since then, it gives you the proper motive in sharing your faith. It's one of thanksgiving and praise and excitement, even for that other person. And that's really what we read in John 3.16, which is probably the most recognizable verse in the New Testament about how to become a Christian, for God so loved the world I mean, we begin with the love of God, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Many of you know that verse by heart, and I love the way it starts for God. It begins with God, and it begins with God's love. That should be our greatest motive. And the scope that we have is helping people come to know Him and to follow him as a disciple. So what I'd like to do this morning, is I just kind of conclude this message, is to give some reminders um, to us. When, when, I, when I think of sharing my faith with any particular person or people, neighbor, friend, coworker, whatever else, I immediately stiffen up because I think I'm, not, I'm out of my comfort zone. So if there's anyone here that, you know what, Sharing my faith is just—that's right in my comfort zone. I just naturally flows out of me. I'm happy for you, but I—I don't think I've met many people, like that. And usually, I—I I get a little bit fearful, and I think, "What am I going to say? What what happens if they—they they ask a question I don't know? What if this doesn't go well? What if they won't talk to him anymore? There are a lot of reasons why it pushes me out of my comfort zone. So here's what I what I want to share. First of all i say, relax. <laughs> relax, because you can't change anybody's life. Uh, only God can do the changing, and only God can do the saving. And so it's God's business, not yours. So it's not up to you. So you can't make it succeed, and you can't really blow it. Say, well, yeah, but it's... God Really, God doesn't need your eloquence. He doesn't need you to know the right verses. He doesn't need any of that. God, God does not depend upon you, you depend upon him. And when, when you realize that, that all salvation and all eternal life given to people is the work of God. It is a miraculous work of God. And you need to realize that humbly trusting him is the best path. So relax. Secondly, is be ready. And there are two ways that I think you can be ready. First of all, by understanding the gospel in its simplicity. Understanding the gospel in its simplicity. Here's what happens to us. We become Christians. We start reading and study. We learn a lot of stuff. We have a lot of questions. We get into a lot of technicalities. We're into Leviticus, and we're into Deuteronomy, and we're into the prophets, and we're into Peter, and we're into Paul, we're into these great, deep, and wonderful truths. Now, Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So, in other words, the people receiving the gospel need to be like little children. So, if they're here, and you're talking up here, it's not going to connect And I've watched this happen. Guys go to seminary, (laughs) they take 96 hours of Greek and Hebrew and theology and hermeneutics, eschatology, all of it, and they can't talk to regular people anymore. Do you understand what I'm saying? And it's not just seminary graduates, it's people in church. You've been to church so long, you can't talk to people anymore. They don't even understand what you're saying. The gospel is so simple. Now, it's also deep and wide and high and beyond your comprehension and mind. And you will never exhaust the beauties of the gospel. So in your private devotions, go there. (laughs) Go there. Love it. Enjoy it. You know, contemplate the sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, the omnipresence of God, the immutability of God, the transcendence of God, the holiness of God. Contemplate all of those things. But be able to express in just a few minutes in very simple language, like John 3.16, to a person. You've got to be able to do that. Now, doesn't that kind of take a little pressure off of you? And I, and I feel what happens to me is I get, I get all these, I think, well, I'll try this tactic or this tactic. Or, I, you know, this, maybe if I do it this way or if I share it, you know what? <laughs> it's the power of God that transforms a life, not my persuasive words. It's not my cute little sayings or I have a little booklet that I can, you know, all those things can be helpful. The most powerful thing to reach someone else is a personal testimony. So, the two things that I would say number one, be able to express in 30 seconds. Now, you may take longer than that to talk to a person, but be able to say the gospel really simply in 30 seconds so a child understands. Secondly, be able to share your personal experience. Now, usually what's going to happen is, you know, when I was telling you my story about my mom, it it was kind of seamless and easy because there's a relationship there. Most of the time when you share your faith, it's going to be because of a relationship that's been built. And I always like asking this question, would you mind if I share with you how I came to know that I have eternal life? Would you mind if I share with you how I came to have peace with God? Most people will say, sure. If you've got a relationship, they know you care about them, you've built a bridge. Now, what, what's the worst thing that can happen? They say no. They say no. We had one of our church members that happened to him this week and said, no, and don't ever bring it up again. That can happen. It's not the end of the world. But I'd rather have that happen than me go home saying, you know, I should have said something. I should have said something. So God has given you a couple things. One, He has given you a very simple gospel. God loves you. You're a sinner, can't save yourself. God sent a son to die for your sins, pay the price of your sin, offer it to you eternal life, and if you put your faith and trust in him, you can have eternal life. That's, isn't that simple? I can slow it down for people. Child can understand it, adult can understand that. They need more time. It's, it's pro- the conversations may not just be like one conversation, maybe multiple conversations, but understanding the simplicity of the gospel and then being able to share your personal experience, which which to me is uh, is three parts. One, what my life was like before Christ, how I came to know Christ, and what my life has been like since Christ. It's so just three chapters. Most people, they, they, they will not listen to you preach a sermon to them, but they will listen to you share your personal experience. And every one of us that have... have have trusted Christ as Savior, have a personal experience. And to me, there's a beauty in that, and God uses that to draw people. So relax and be ready. Third one is see things as they are. See things as they are. Or I could say it this way, see things as God sees them. Everything in this world is temporal. Every person in this world is eternal. Okay, everything, and, and the things, the things where we, we end up caring a lot about, stuff. Everything is temporal. Every person is eternal. And you look at with Jesus how he'd fastened his eyes on people. He looked at people as valued souls. Now, this will be a, a major change for a lot of us, and I would include myself in this. So if you start to see every person on the road, <laughs> in traffic, as a soul that God loves and cares for and wants to see in heaven, I mean, I just don't look at people that way. I look at that person's in the, in the left lane. By the way, did you know that when you drive from Norfolk up to Gettysburg, which I did a couple weeks ago, that everybody drives in the left lane? Everybody. Everybody. Anybody been from back east in the Washington area? Everybody drives in the left lane. Anyway, I don't know how I got on that. (laughs) It's my struggle to be able to, to, to view people that way. See things in light of eternity. That the most obnoxious, frustrating person you know God loves. He cares about. He wants to see redeemed. When we start to see people like that and see things like that, it puts us in the right perspective. Look where God is already at work. You know, I, I hear people uh, they'll say, well, I'm going to such and such a city, and nothing is going on there for the gospel. I hear this with missionaries a lot. We're going to this, this place in Russia or this place in Thailand, or this place in Boulder, (laughs) and say, you know, there is nothing there. Uh, And I think, God's there, and he's already at work. (laughs) So when you show up, he's already there, and he's already at work. So you get a new job. You go into the office. You think, I don't think God's here. God's there. (laughs) God's there, and God's at work all around you. So it's not your job. It's not your work. It's his job and his work. So when you go to work, you realize this, God's here, God's at work, and lives all around me. So my prayer is, Lord, just help me to cooperate and to work with you. Help me just to be available, to, to get engaged with what, you're, with what you're already doing. When you see ministry like that, it takes a lot of pressure off. But I can tell you this, that God has strategically placed us in every school, every job, every place, every community on purpose. And He's not saying, well, hey, go in there and do something. No, He's already there. He invites you to join Him. And while you're there, this brings me to my next point, just build relationships. Say, how do I do that? Be nice to people. Okay? Okay. You can be nice to your neighbors. You know, most neighborhoods nowadays, you know, the garage door goes up, go in. In the morning, the garage door goes up, they go out. <laughs> you know, just pray, Lord, help me to build some relationships. Be nice to people. Be kind to people. Do things for people. This is this is what Jesus did. I mean, you say, well, why did Jesus spend so much time doing these things like healing a blind person and, and causing a lame person to walk? And he said, why wasn't he just concerned about preaching salvation to everybody because he he cared about the people. And every time you show concern for someone in a genuine way, it builds a bridge. It builds a bridge. So someone said you spend 95% of the time building bridges, 5% of the time walking across them. There will come a day some of the most difficult, hard people that you know, when you continue to love on them, be kind to them, be gracious to them, They'll do this at work sometime. They'll look both ways and they'll say, hey, you got time to go to lunch today? What's that all about? Well, something probably happened in their life. Something's happened over here in their life. They need answers. And they're coming to you. Why? Because you've been, you showed Christ to them. You've, you've lived like Christ. You've been kind to them. You, you've been a true friend. And that's why I say that a core value of our our walk and of our church is that ministry flows through relationships. Otherwise, we just have a crowd. Uh, You know, we can gather a crowd and preach Christ. That's not the way the New Testament church was functioning. They were sitting at tables, interacting, caring for one another, ministering to one another. So you build relationships, build relationships. Not, Not everyone will lead to being able to share your faith. But many times, you you see God has just opened a door. It's amazing how God will open the door and you're able to walk through it. And then finally, I'd say expect God to do something. If it's God's desire for your family members and your friends and your coworkers, your neighbors to come to Christ, then He will bring that to pass. What we do is cooperate with Him. And we enjoy that. As I had shared earlier... You know, one of my profound disappointments was in my own lack of sharing my faith with my friends. Years ago when Stanley Lake High School in Westminster was just getting built, I remember they had a brand new school and, and uh, had a new principal that I, that I went over and met with. And we did a lot of things with the, with the high school there and a shared space with our church. And uh, he was a Christian, very strong Christian. The principal was. I said, "Well, tell me, tell me how you came to Christ." He said, "A high school student." I'm thinking, "A high school student? Yeah." And he said he had a relationship with a high school student and this nice kid. And he he asked if he could come in and see the principal. Now, usually you get asked, that's what happened to me, you get asked to come see the principal. he said, Can I come and see the principal? And he went in and he said, I noticed this kid had his shirt on and he had sweat marks, just he's just perspiring. <laughs> this <is> all over. <laughs> and um he said, Well, what do you want to talk to me about? And and he and this uh this boy said, Could I share with you how I came to know Jesus as my Savior? And principal said, sure. And this, this high school boy led this principal to Christ. It wasn't immediately, but he came to Christ through the testimony of a high school student. Now, the boy was nervous. The principal wasn't nervous. Usually the person hearing the good news is just excited <laughs> to hear this good news. But we're, we have all these worked up fears that we have. But, I, but I'm telling you this, that as you look at Boulder Valley, God is everywhere. He is at work. He loves these people. He wants them in heaven. He wants them to come to salvation. And and we are the salt of the earth. We're scattered about in every part of this county. And it, it doesn't depend on you. It depends on God. So don't relax. Don't get uptight. Be able to share the gospel simply. Be able to share your testimony Simply, this is what it was like. This is how I came to Christ. This is what it's been like since. And and all of us have a different testimony. See things eternally. Build bridges with people. Look for what God is already doing. Walk through the doors that God opens and expect Him to do great things. You know, my prayer is this, that this kind of church, I don't really want to see that 3,000 in one day, because that, that's to be a lot to process. But, but growing in those ways is what a healthy church does. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, we could have another church like this, and this part of town, this part of town, this part of town, training pastors and people and being witnesses everywhere. But this is what we have prayed for. Healthy believers, healthy Christians, health, healthy church, that God would bring that for all of us. Let's bow together as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much this morning for examples in Scripture, particularly this morning in Acts chapter 2, where we just see the church thriving, being healthy, being vibrant. And I pray we'd not drift from these things to doing it our own way or in the energy that we could supply. But to see, Lord, your heart, that you're at work everywhere, caring for every soul. May we trust you and believe you. May we joy in our salvation. May we do things motivated by gratitude and thanksgiving. And may we see people come to you in salvation. Even right now, Lord, people come to my mind, come to all of our minds, people we know that do not have hope. Do not have eternal life. So, Lord, I pray as you continue to work, we would desire to cooperate and join you in that work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.